My husband and I are terrible gardeners. And even my husband, who hails from a really long line of rural gardeners and farmers in England, his mother knows her dahlias from her hydrangeas, from her azaleas. His father can whip out the Latin names of almost any plant I've ever seen. And with a fluidity that matches my own with theological and liturgical terms. So I can get derailed by today's gospel, the parable of the sower. Because when I hear it, I can't help but think of the garden that we decimated in the first home we lived in. <laughs> the garden had been that we inherited had been nurtured by someone who'd been a, a docent at very well-known gardens in Northern California at Filoli Estate. His yard, which was our new yard, had all sorts of plants that needed all sorts of nurturing and loving, but that wasn't our gift. And it actually wasn't even a gift we were interested in acquiring. Plants we eventually learned were azaleas and hydrangeas. They stopped blooming abundantly. Things that we thought were little baby azaleas, well, those were weeds, and they started choking <laughs> out the beautiful ones. And it did not matter how much my dear in-laws tried to birth a love of gardening in us, we couldn't hear and we didn't want to hear. So reading today's gospel, I sometimes think we were like that hardened path where the seeds were thrown upon us, those gardening seeds, and our tough urban shell wouldn't let them in. The funny thing, though, is that we really took to composting. The miracle of compost, taking those kitchen scraps, the grass clippings, dead leaves, which we were quite good at uh, producing, <laughs> though we told ourselves it wasn't our fault because there was a terrible drought in those years. But all this throwaway stuff, miraculously becoming good soil, fertile and rich, miraculously being transformed by just hanging out in a pile together and being churned every once in a while. So our heap thrived. But since we didn't really have much to do with it, our friends would come over and take bucket loads for their gardens. Jesus starts his parable today by saying, listen. And that's listen with a big exclamation point. So letting go of my own gardening angst and really listening to this parable, which so many of us have heard a whole lot of times, I think perhaps it should be called the parable of the soil because it's all about what happens in different types of soil when beautiful seeds fall upon it. We have a sower showering seeds of hope and of love and of new life on all types of ground. Seeds falling equally on the hardened pathways, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and on good, what I like to think of as well-composted soil. <laughs> and this parable is one of the rare ones that Jesus actually explains. Listen, he says, the seed, that's the word of God's kingdom. The soil, 
That's us. And the parable, the parable's exploring that mystery of why hearing the good news, hearing what our presiding bishop calls the loving, liberating, and life-giving power of Christ, why is it that it takes root in some of us and doesn't in others? And this was something first century Christians and, or followers of Christ had real trouble making sense of. Why was it that some people heard the good news and accepted it, took it in, and others simply didn't? And many of us have family members, loved ones, where we're in the same boat. Why has it hit us? Why not my sister, my brother? Why are some of us drawn to be disciples and others not? And the word disciple can be kind of tricky. We think of it some, as someone who just follows. But it actually comes from the Latin word discipulus. Correct me, any Latin scholars, if I pronounce that wrong. But that means learner, student, pupil, apprentice. And what lies at the heart of learning? Listening and hearing. Really hearing the word is what Jesus is calling us to do. Really hearing the word will take root in us and miraculously birth a yearning to learn, a yearning to become a disciple and to embark on a spiritual journey. So this kind of listening is spiritual listening. St. Benedict, the father of Benedictine monasticism, calls spiritual listening, listening with the heart. Listening with the heart. Listening for God in absolutely everything we do, everything we encounter, not just here in church, not on retreats, not in just in classes or when we're, just, when we're praying, not just when we're meditating or reading the Bible. God is there for us to listen to at work, at home, at play, with our friends, our family, our colleagues, in those encounters that are very loving and those encounters that maybe are not so much. Benedict tried for years to get closer to God by being a hermit, but he discovered the hard way that spiritual growth is not a solitary endeavor. You can hear some of God, but Benedict alone, but Benedict found that spiritual growth happens in community. After three years in a cave, he emerged and tried his hand at running a monastery where he witnessed how true listening to God's word, deep absorption of the word, happens in relationship with one another. And think about it. Jesus' disciples were a community, 12 learners, 12 listeners, and bumping up against each other and bumping up against Jesus. I want to sit at your right hand or the left hand. I won't believe it till I see the wounds. And what the heck are we going to feed all these people? Sometimes they got it, and their soil was good. And sometimes, like us, they didn't. So in community, Benedict founded a new form of monasticism and developed a 
what is called a rule of life, a way of life, a structure that opens us up to be able to listen to God in every dimension of our lives. And this was in the sixth century when monasticism had been all about the solitary search for God, going off to commune on your own. Monastics would find a wise teacher who would give them a pearl or two to meditate on, and then they would find a space to be solitary. Now there's nothing wrong with solitary prayer or silence. Those are vital nutrients of fertile spiritual soil. But Benedict discovered their only part of the picture. Christ calls us to bring our full selves to him, to bring all our dirt, all our compost, all those orange peels and lint from the dryer and dead, dead leaves. And however rocky or thorny or devoid of nutrients we are, our full selves are to come to Christ. And they are, our full selves are revealed for better, for worse, in our relationship with each other. There's no separation in Benedict's mind between the material and the spiritual. After all, Christ was a physical, material present, presence, incarnate, here, embodied. The spirituality and growth in God of the disciples happened in relationship with him. A huge part of the message here is that God is with us in the here and now. And God's love like the seeds, is showered everywhere, regardless of what our soil is like. No ground is given preference in this parable. Love is freely given and given in abundance. Now the first word of Benedict's rule happens to be listen, just like Jesus. Listen. Listen with our hearts means caring for the soil of our soul. Caring for the soil so that the seeds can take root. And the promise of what happens when seeds fully take root would have been mind-blowing to first century farmers. In their minds and what they knew was that the, the most abundant harvest would be about sevenfold. But Jesus makes the wild promise that when the seeds of love and liberation and life take hold, the abundant harvest will be 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Abundance beyond earthly conception, abundance beyond what we can imagine. So the parable of what I want to call the soil invites us to look at the nature of our own soil. Perhaps we are fertile soil, and there is all that compost churning in us and inviting the seeds in. But the parable also names three other kinds of soil, three things that block us from growing into the wholeness that God wants us to grow into and that God created us to be. First, we may have hardened paths of our hearts. What in our heart needs softening? What rigid shell needs opening? 
Where are we blocking the seeds? Second, there are rocks that inhibit seeds from growing deep roots. Now Jesus, in his explanation, defines these rocks as the troubles and persecutions and trials that afflict us. He says that even though we may experience great joy at an initial encounter with God, an initial encounter with the Word, the minute hard times hit and the harsh sun bears down on us, our roots aren't deep enough and we wither. Third, there's the thorny ground. What thorns choke out our spiritual growth? And here Jesus is also clear that the lures and the cares of the world, the lures and temptations of wealth, the lures and temptations of anything that takes us into a worldly value as opposed to a divine value, those things, when, we, when our seeds fall among the, us, those things grow, us, grow as well. And those lures become so big, those thorns become so big, that the holy seeds get choked out. We get pulled away to follow those ways and not Christ's ways. The Benedictine scholar Esther DeWall wrote a wonderful book called Seeking God. And in it, she writes that God does not demand the unusual, the spectacular, or the heroic. Instead, she said, God asks that I do the most ordinary, often dreary, and humdrum things that face me every day, and that I do them with a loving openness that will allow them to become my own immediate way to God. Loving openness a listening with the heart, a listening to where is God in our email, our dishes, our errands. Listening is slowing down to nurture our soil, no matter how hardened, rocky, or thorny it may be. The soil is showered with God's love and showered with the miraculous promise of new life and abundant life that is given to all. Jesus ends the parable saying, let anyone with ears listen. Well, we all have ears. We can all listen. This is for everyone. Let anyone with ears listen, and that has an exclamation point too. So may we all go forth and listen. Amen.